What do you do? You're not an engineer. You're not a designer. You can't put a hammer to a nail. I built the circuit board. The graphical interface was stolen. So how come, ten times in a day, I read Steve Jobs as a genius? What do you do? Musicians play their instruments. I play the orchestra. I hear you've been worse than usual this morning. I didn't think that was possible. It's a system error. Fix it. Fix it? Yeah. We're not a pit crew at Daytona. This can't be fixed in seconds. You didn't have seconds. You had three weeks. The universe was created in a third of that time. Well, someday you'll have to tell us how you did it. <laughs> I'm begging you to manage expectations out there. You see how this reminds you of a friendly face? It's warm and it's playful and inviting and it needs to say hello. If you keep alienating people for no reason, there'll be no one left for it to say hello to. Your Apple stock was worth $441 million, while your daughter and her mother are on welfare. She's not my daughter! You must be able to see that she looks like you. You're issuing contradictory instructions, you're insubordinate, you make people miserable. Even if that were true. Doesn't sound that diabolical to me. We've spoken to the fire marshal and the building manager. They're going to come in and tell everyone to leave. If a fire causes a stampede to the unmarked exits, it'll have been well worth it for those who survive. The board believes you're no longer necessary to this company. I sat in a garage and invented the future because artists lead and hacks ask for a show of hands. You're going to end me, aren't you? You're being ridiculous. I'm going to sit in a court and watch you do it yourself. Make everything all right with Lisa. Fix it! Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome... That's just the, the latest in a series of, of movies and books about the life and work of Steve Jobs, who I'm sure you all know is that was the driving force behind the technology company, Apple. Whether people are fans of Apple or not, I think many people are fascinated by Steve Jobs and the impact that he's had on this world. But although he's known as being somebody with, with a, known for his innovations, his commitment to excellence, his self-belief and the successes that he achieved, he's also famous for being a really difficult person to work for. Many have accused him of being arrogant, hypercritical, abrasive, dictatorial, mean-spirited, even cruel. Now, I don't know how true that, that is about that guy. But sometimes we can get the impression that to really succeed in life, to, to get ahead in this world, you need to have at least a part of that cutthroat mentality. That if you're really going to succeed, then you need to be willing to walk over some people. You need to discard those who are struggling and be ruthless in the pursuit of your goals. But this isn't the picture of the Messiah painted by Jesus. Yes, as we have seen, he is God with us. He is the mighty God who shoulders the government of God's kingdom. And he is the one who will reign on David's throne, judging perfectly and condemning the wicked. But Isaiah 42 
goes on to describe him as the gentle servant. The one who will care for the broken. The one who will care for the bruised. So we're going to read that this morning. It's in Isaiah chapter 42. And it's verse 1 down to verse 9. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind. To free captives from prison. And to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See the former things have taken place. And new things I declare. Before they spring into being. I announce them to you. Over the past three weeks we've looked at three prophecies of the coming king given to Isaiah in the time of King Ahaz. But the context of this prophecy that we've just read is the reign of his son, Hezekiah. Now in many ways Hezekiah was a much better king than his dad. But he still brought disaster to his nation. If you were on a church weekend away, hopefully you remember at least a little bit about some of the events of his reign. Remember in Isaiah 36 and 37, that records the Assyrian attack on Jerusalem and God's miraculous deliverance in answer to Hezekiah's prayer. Then Isaiah 38 records Hezekiah's illness. When he was told he was going to die. And then he prayed. And God again miraculously healed him. In response to his prayer. Then Isaiah Isaiah 39. Goes on to record. The the black time of Hezekiah's reign. When in pride. He welcomed envoys from the king of Babylon. And the resulting. uh, This resulted in a promise that Babylon. Would come and defeat and exile Judah which would happen about 100 years later. So this is the context of this prophecy. In the context of of this coming disaster from Babylon, Isaiah brought a message of hope. Babylon, yes they would come, they would break, they would exile the people, but eventually they would be defeated. 
by God's chosen instrument, by a guy called Cyrus, the king of Persia. But God had a greater plan than just the defeat of Babylon and the return of the people back to Judah. And for this greater plan, God was going to bring someone else. Someone who would fully obey his commands. Someone who would fulfill all of his promises. This person is the servant of the Lord. And what we've read is the first of four servant songs that we find in Isaiah about him, describing his mission and describing his ministry. Now, there is some debate about who this servant is. Some think it's Cyrus, that coming king of Persia. Others think it refers to Israel itself, as one of the names for the nation is the servant of the Lord. Still others people suggest it's Isaiah himself, or one of the other prophets. But I think if we read through this, this passage, I think we get an idea of who this really is. Isaiah doesn't identify him here. He just says, here is my servant. He declares his relationship to to God. That he belongs to God. And that's because he was chosen by him. God says, he is my chosen one. And that I have called you. He's the one called and appointed by God as a servant. To accomplish his plans. Now of course God can work through a whole range of different people. Even people who don't believe in him. That guy Cyrus. He was one of those. The Lord says about Cyrus in Isaiah 45. I summon you by name. And bestow on you a title of honour. Though you did not acknowledge me. God was going to work through King Cyrus, the king of the Persians, to send his people back from exile, even although Cyrus was not a believer. Even although Cyrus was not somebody who worshipped the one true God. But this wasn't the case with the servant. The Lord didn't only choose him, he also delighted in him. He is my chosen one in whom I delight. I think this all points to who this servant really is. Maybe you remember at Jesus' baptism, heaven opened and a voice declared, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then on the Mount of Transfiguration, another voice, a voice again came from the the cloud and declared, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Jesus is the ultimate one who belongs to God, who was chosen by God and who pleases God. And I believe that he is the ultimate fulfillment of this servant song. In describing Jesus' ministry, Matthew says this, This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen. And then goes on to quote from Isaiah 42. So Matthew quotes Isaiah 42 and says it's talking about Jesus. So we can be sure that this prophecy is ultimately fulfilled by Jesus. He is the ultimate servant of the Lord. 
And so as we've read through this servant song, it describes to us Jesus' mission. It says here in verse 1, He will bring justice to the nations. He will bring fairness, righteousness to this world. He will come and reestablish God's rule and reign on earth. And amazingly, this is not just for a few people in Israel. But this was also for the the non-Gentile, the, the non-Jewish nations, the Gentiles. In fact, his mission will establish God's justice in the remotest parts of this world. In his law, the islands will put their hope on God. On God, on their, will put their, their hope. It's that estimation of or that of of the islands has been the remotest parts of the world that they too will put their hope in his teaching. And he will do this through revealing God's truth. And so this servant will be a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind. He will remove people from the darkness of ignorance and unbelief and open up their hearts and their minds to God's truth. And the impact of all of this will be to free captives from prison. To release those who are held in slavery and darkness and fear. Jesus came to set people free. And as a result, people will come into a right relationship with God. He will be what verse 6 says, a covenant for the people. God's covenants are his treaties, his agreements between him and people. Maybe remember the the Mosaic covenant. The covenant that God God gave to Moses. It was made with Israel at Mount Sinai. But it couldn't make the people right with God. Because it was based on the law. And it required perfect obedience to the law. But the new covenant that Jesus will bring, the servant will bring, is not based on law, it's based on grace. It doesn't require perfect obedience. Rather it calls for simple faith. And it offers full and free forgiveness. This is what the book of Hebrews says about it in Hebrews chapter 8. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord. Because they will all know me. From the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness. And will remember their sins. No more. So this is the mission of the servant. He was coming to change people's lives. To establish God's justice on earth. Through revealing God's truth. 
Releasing people from captivity to sin and the law and bringing them into a new relationship with God. Through grace and by faith. And many of us who are here this morning have entered into that, haven't we? We've experienced that in our lives. He has opened up our eyes. He's released us from sin. He's adopted us into God's family. And it's all just simply through our faith in Jesus. And God continues to offer this to anyone. Romans 10 and 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Doesn't matter what they've done or what they haven't done, who they are, what their background is. This morning, if you haven't already, if you come and you just put your trust in Jesus, if you call on His name for salvation and forgiveness, then all of these blessings will be yours. Every single one of them. They don't depend on what we do. They just simply depend on Jesus' perfect mission and his completion of that. But despite the importance and the worldwide nature of this servant's mission, I think it's amazing to see that that the servant's ministry is going to be characterised by meekness. Says he will not be loud or forceful. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. There are many people who want to make a lot of noise about their abilities or achievements, who are eager to advertise themselves, who are willing to shout others down so that they can dominate the situation. They do this believing that this will be most effective in getting their name known and their message across. So they shout at us. But Jesus didn't minister like that. Jesus didn't yell at people at the top of his voice. He didn't enter into shouting matches with them. He didn't promote himself. Instead he worked in quiet, unaggressive and unthreatening ways. Matthew, he quotes from this prophecy when he describes how Jesus healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. When he healed somebody, he didn't say go out and stand up in the street corner and shout about it. It wasn't because Jesus was going to be secretive about it. He came to reveal God's truth. So getting the message out was important. But Jesus knew that although being loud and being domineering can create a following, it doesn't build real friendship with people. So Jesus didn't heal in order to create a spectacle or to be famous. Instead he healed because he cared about individual people. And he wanted to express God's love to them. So they would get to know him. 
and they would come to him for salvation. He did it to bring people to him, not to keep people at a distance, which happens when we shout at them. I think we need to learn from this in our lives. James says this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We need to be willing to express this humility that Jesus the servant did. To be ready to listen before we're ready to speak. To to ready to, to let other people share where they're at, what they're going through, and what they're having to cope with, before we try to tell them what is on our minds or our hearts. We need to be willing to get to know people. And then quietly and sensitively share with them God's message and God's truth. I wonder if we can learn from the servant and be humble and be meek as we share this wonderful truth about Jesus. Isaiah also said about the servant, a bruised reed, he will not break. When a reed is bruised, it's basically useless. Useless as a support, useless for anything good. All of its strength is gone when it's been bruised. But the servant won't break or discard those who are weak and helpless. Instead, he will care for them. He will work to bring healing and restoration to them. He will see value even in those who are, who are broken and who are weak. Jesus didn't surround himself just with people who were strong or who were capable or who were seen as gifted people. He didn't handpick the kind of the top of the or the cream of the crop or the or, or the top of the, 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 the pile. Instead, he called the weak, the hungry, the sick, the poor, the broken, to find their rest and their restoration in him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said these amazing words: "Come to me." All you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. And he still wants us. Battered and bruised as we are with life. Just to come to him today. Just as we are. He doesn't want us to try to put on a pretense that we've got it all together. And we can handle things. And we can do things for God. He wants us to come as we are. And he also wants to reach out in compassion and love to those who are battered and bruised around us. Whether they are people who are outside of God's family, reaching out to the lost, or whether it's those who have stumbled in their faith in God and have wandered far from Him. For example, Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. That gentleness, that compassion to those who are bruised, to those who are battered, to those who are broken.
Isaiah also said, a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. Lamp wicks in those days were made of linen. And so when they were lacking oil, they would just burn with a feeble, tiny little flame. And it would be just so easy just to snuff it out. But the servant will not crush the faith of those who struggle. He will not abandon those who wrestle with doubt. Who are just hardly hanging on to their commitment to God. Instead he will graciously reach out to them. And feed their faith. And encourage their commitment. Remember Thomas? After the cross, he was a smouldering flame. While others were rejoicing in the resurrection, he couldn't bring himself to believe. But Jesus didn't condemn him or reject him. Instead, he brought to him the evidence that he needed of his nail-pierced hands and encouraged him to stop doubting and believe. I wonder if that's how we respond to those who are struggling in their faith, who feel overwhelmed with their doubts, who just can't bring themselves to truly believe. Do we condemn them and reject them? Or are we willing to graciously lead them to the reality of who Jesus is and encourage them to come to faith? This is what Jude says in Jude 22. Be merciful to those who doubt. We are not supposed to be in the business of pointing the finger and condemning those who struggle in faith or who struggle with doubt. We are supposed to be the one who gets alongside them to help them as much as we can and to encourage them to faith. This is how God's servant will minister. With humility, with gentleness and with grace. But I think we must make make sure that we don't mistake this meekness this gentleness, this compassion with weakness. Because the servant will not be soft. The servant will not be weak. Because he will serve with determination and commitment. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He would stop until he has finished his work. I think one of the greatest challenges for Christian ministry is discouragement. This is what John Stott, an amazing Christian leader and scholar and author who died just a few years ago, he wrote this. Discouragement is the occupational hazard of Christian ministry. And then Charles Spurgeon from the 19th century, another amazing preacher and pastor, he wrote, Discouragement creeps over my heart and makes me go with heaviness to my work. It is dreadfully weakening. He struggled with that all through his ministry. And I think discouragement just goes with the job of serving God in this fallen and this sin-cursed world. It is tough 
to serve God faithfully for year upon year. Whether it's in our family, whether it's in our workplace, whether it's in our church, whether it's in our community, it can be so easily to get discouraged with it all, to be overwhelmed with it all, just to feel like giving up. And as we'll see in later passages in Isaiah, the Lord's servant is going to experience unimaginable opposition, false accusations, beatings, suffering, disappointment. But despite all of this, he will not falter or be discouraged. Whatever happened, Jesus would not be deflected from completing the work that his father had given him to do. And so on the cross, he could declare, it is finished. It is complete. He completed the mission. He fulfilled God's rescue plan. That's why it's just so through simple faith we are saved. Because Jesus has done it all. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not like that. I'm far too easily discouraged. Far too easily deflected from following God's plan for my life. Lord is fed up with hearing me say, I can't do this anymore. She just gives me a slap and gets me to go on with it. She didn't actually hit me. You know. But what really encourages me here is what Isaiah said about why the servant is going to be so successful. Why is he so faithful in his work? It wasn't because of who he was. It was because his strength was in the Lord. The Lord declared that the servant is the one whom I uphold. He is the one I will put my spirit on. And he promised, I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you. I will make you. The servant's secret to faithfulness and success wasn't in his own ability, in his own strength. It was in the Lord's commitment to empower him for the work that God had called him to do. And this makes all the difference because of who the Lord is. He says... He is the creator who created the heavens and stretched them out. That's verse 5. He is the giver of life who gives breath to its people. He is the one and only God. I will not give my glory to another, God says. And he is the one who knows the future. Because new things I declare before they spring into being. This is who the Lord is. This, this prophecy again reminds us about how great and how awesome our God is. And so when he promises to uphold the servant, when he promises to keep him, to give him the strength to complete the work that he's given him to do, that means the servant will be successful no matter what. No matter what opposition he faces. No matter what 
obstacles he has to overcome. And that disabled our life too. If it was up to us to live this life for God, if it was up to us to serve God with all of our heart, as we were saying just before, then none of us would have any confidence in that. None of us could, cha- could cope with the challenge of the, op- the, the opposition or just the struggles of serving God or the, the, the struggles that we face of, of just seeing the, the disappointments in our ministries. None of us could do it in our own strength. But we can trust in the Lord. The maker of heaven and earth. Because he will keep us. He will, he is, he will hold us in his hand. He will empower us. And he will lead us on. And he will complete the work that he has begun in our life. So this is the confidence that we can have in our lives. We might be tempted to think that to succeed you need to be like Steve Jobs. Aggressively pursue your own goals. Ruthlessly use and discard others. But it's not true. God wants us to be like his servant. Committed to fulfilling God's call in our lives. Speaking God's truth in love and humility. Reaching out in gentleness and grace to those who are weak and those who are struggling. And depending on His power, through His Spirit, to give us the strength and the endurance and the perseverance and the faithfulness to complete the work that God has given us to do.